what incredible benefits can we give to the customer? Where can we take the customer? Not, not starting with, let's sit down with the engineers and, and figure out what awesome technology we have and then how are we going to market that. Um, and I think that's the right path to take. For fuck's sake. Oh, Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs. Well, Steve certainly had a view of the customer experience. He's describing some of it there, answering a question about Java, OpenDoc. Remember OpenDoc? That was a, that was a very interesting idea. When I used to work at Apple, uh, as a contractor, never an employee, so I got paid better <laughs> for a little while anyway. The the open doc concept was uh outlandish. It was it was uh it was a cool idea, I thought. And then HTML came along and uh there you go. It kinda makes you wonder what happens when you develop things in the Crystal Palace at the time uh, the uh the Apple campus on, uh, what is it, uh, Apple Circle? I can't remember. The uh, R&D, R&D Circle? R&D complex at Apple. They developed a lot of technologies in-house, and then they released them to, at the time, a very small market share. And as, uh, as one of my relatives used to say when I, was, when I was young, you'll get nothing and like it. And I always got the sense that that was the... That there was a component of that in the Apple market, but that's not—we're not here to talk about Apple today. But I just thought that was an interesting coming from Steve Jobs, the customer experience. Steve Jobs' view of the customer experience—you'll get nothing, or you'll get what I give you and like it. How about that? So today, though, on recording this on June 13, 2021, we're going to talk about co-creation and innovation and this is a first of all this is another very long topic arc so looking forward to constructive discussion on this topic especially uh, well <laughs> sort of meta right we should talk about co-creation in more in groups larger than one but uh, I will kick off this topic today with some project references and some uh, historical experience, uh, some anecdotes, I guess you could say. So what is co-creation? First of all, uh, very loosely speaking, I'll, I'll, I'll find industry definitions, I suppose, stick them in the show notes, which are available at our uh, Substack newsletter presently. So when I publish a podcast, I publish an episode, I publish a uh, <clears throat> publish a newsletter with the show notes instead of doing sorry I was uh, doing a little typing there uh, instead of doing uh, the show notes in the podcast description in the RSS con the confines of the RSS feed that will be minimal and then you can go to ffstalk.substack.com and you can check out the show notes eventually there will be a website i promise uh once our listenership 
enters the realm of uh, interested in what we, we're doing here. So co-creation. Essentially, you can design your product or service. It can be technological. It can be as simple as uh, a piece of furniture, a piece of wooden furniture, or maybe metal. But doesn't need any technology necessarily. It could be a pet rock. <laughs> it could be anything. And it could be a service as well. So it could be food delivery. It could be you know, online uh, weather reporting. Who knows? It could be anything. So you can take your idea and you can implement it. So you can, you can ponder, you can imagine, you come up with your, your vision and where you want it to go. You run it, make it happen and you put it in the market or you make it available in general. However, however you do that and you see what happens and market forces would, would, uh, give you your feedback, right? Ooh, Nobody likes my product <laughs> or hey, everybody bought it and now I'm sold out and now people are, are copying the design and there, I got a patent, you know, so it could be anywhere on a, a, probably even a bigger spectrum than that. So you've designed something, you've deployed it and you see what happens. So in some cases that doesn't work. Right. That was that first case where people don't like it. Uh, anecdotally, I have myself worked on projects where that happens, where the product is developed in, a, in what you could call a vacuum, cubicles, technical, te <clears throat> technology projects. So uh, designed, implemented, a lot of whiteboard meetings, a lot of uh, middle management layers, things come together and they hit the market and flop or, or even better, we get actual feedback from people like how come it doesn't fill in the blank? Why isn't it? Where's the documentation? You know, all kinds of usable feedback. <clears throat> what I found, I'll, I'll use my Intel example. Sorry, Intel. Uh, we were literally making products. This is not about complaining about Intel. This is just a really, uh, really focused examples. Intel was making maker innovator products, the maker innovator group, and the products were supposed to fit into the maker sp um, maker space. That's a different thing, but into the maker marketplace, right? So if you are uh, a kid of any age, as I used to say, seven to seventy. If you were uh, an educator, if you were building a, a project, there's a there's a maker taxonomy. I'll post a link to that as well. It's uh, so whether you were you were at the the beginner end or at the professional, like making products, entrepreneurial, selling things, whichever uh, place you found yourself in that taxonomy, you were enabled by the trend, which was to uh, make products accessible, accessible, lower prices, open source tools, lots of documentation, user groups, user communities, online, a lot of online sharing, right? So the smart companies in that space were learning from users. Uh, Arduino obviously set the tone 
what is it now? About 15 years ago. So Make Media, Maker Fair, Arduino, Raspberry Pi came along later. And hardware is tricky because you, you know, there's, there's real costs, there's manufacturing, there's getting products out into the, the world. But you do that stuff, you, and you, when you're in the maker space, when you're in the maker community, these are people that are going to dive in, try your stuff, and send you feedback, like, uh, or they're going to fix it, <laughs> which is even better. They apply a, a hardware patch, a workaround, you know, maybe a, maybe a signal has a problem. I know Raspberry Pis have had power supply issues now and then. Uh, they'll add a feature, they uh, desolder something and then change it into something else. So they will morph that project that you have, the product, into their own project, I should say. And if the company, if Raspberry Pi, if uh, Arduino is listening, they will iterate from that input. Or really, these kinds of companies will do what we're talking about today, which is they will enable their customers, their users, to be involved, involved with the product development, design, design development, and deployment process. So Intel, we were making products that were Arduino compatible, that were aimed squarely at makers, although the higher end, because the, the products were more expensive, and aimed at productizing. So not an ideal product for a, a, a a beginner, a $10 Arduino versus a $100 Edison or Galileo. I don't, those are not the exact prices, but you, you know what I mean. So my my role at Intel was to design products, to be in on the, I was a software architect, but you know, so we were, we were in the lab, we were bringing up, we were working with the Galileo, the Edison, the Arduino 101, and then for a few minutes, the jewel, and I would then <clears throat> probably the probably the most interesting job I've had, or definitely top three. I would then venture out into hackathons and maker fairs, but hackathons were were on the ground, playing with things, talking to people. <clears throat> Excuse me, and then they would use Edison, for example. That was probably the the most travel I did. So here's an Edison. I would hand them hardware. They would open the box. It would take forever to get it to get them uh, up and running because the documentation was weird. The process involved like out of box update software on the device. And that always took forever. And then they could be up and running. And then there were just enough issues, enough dark parts of the docs or Things just weren't quite right so that people could get very easily frustrated and confused. I saw this happen time and time again. So if you treat that as a co-creative component of the development life cycle, the product life cycle, continued development, then what you learn from watching your customers, your users attempt <laughs> to use your product, you should feed that back into your documentation, into your product development iterations, maybe the next version of the hardware, which um, which did happen with Galileo, for example, a fairly substantial version, two, or Gen 2, Generation 2. 
So if you if you have an opportunity to to sit next to your users or your customers, right? If you um, if you test drive if you test drive a car and you don't like it, the person from the dealership in that model sitting next to you has just heard from a customer that the product didn't work for them. If there's a communication path to get that information back to product design, customer support kinds of things, then uh, ultimately the products will better will be better, right? Maybe not that car, maybe not that Edison, but a company or a project group or a development team or even if it's just an open source collection of people developing something. Uh, you listen to the people using your product and then you make your product better and then they like it better and it works better for them and it's hard to find a loser in that scenario. So the example I usually give is whenever you, whether you're home with uh, a you know family meal or you visit someone someone's home or you go to a, a party or a some sort of an event at some point if there's food or maybe even a drink maybe you're at a, a bar and uh, the bartender has crafted a cocktail for you perhaps they've asked you a few questions first that's these are all you can see where I'm going with this when you take a sip, when you take a bite, when you waft the scents coming off of the, the meal, what's the question? How is it? And if you say something like, it's a little bit salty, or it's it's a little sour, or it's, you know, you fill in the blank, you, uh, maybe your cocktail is a little bit strong, or maybe it's a little bit too much citrus, or whatever, whatever it is. The person who has asked you that question will do one of two things. Well, maybe one of three. They will either ignore you and say, well, too bad. <laughs> they will take it back and rush off and fix it. Or if that's not practical, they'll say, well, okay, the next one will be better or I will, I'm taking what you've learned. So at, at least the second two are where the product will improve because of your feedback. In the first case, if they don't care, well, they don't care. And unfortunately, in my experiences with Intel, in the Maker Innovator Group, not on a personal level, not, you know, people were not telling me to go jump in a lake. Not everybody. But it was not built into the system to listen to, uh, I will say kids, but they were, again, kids of all ages. But it just wasn't in the in the infrastructure that Intel had around this maker innovator group to, to develop better products based on this feedback. So the feedback loop was not intact. And what you ended up with was you'll get an Edison. Now we're going to make you an Arduino 101. And in that product, I, I was actually in on that from the, from the very beginning. And it, that one was a little bit more interactively designed with the, uh, with the folks at Arduino in Italy but again, without taking input from users, uh, we, we had a reality show that we participated in and we had 24 teams of between one and three people each. And 
they were handed Arduino 101 boards before they were, were released, before they were selling. They had been announced, but they were not available. So here we had people on a competitive uh, trajectory, right? They're out to win the, I can't remember what the prize was, a million dollars, whatever it was. So these are people that are intently interested, intently, intensely interested in this product and how it's going to fit into their roadmap. Like, I want to win this competition. I'm going to be on TV. I'm going to show off my product idea. Even if I don't win, it's going to be uh, seen by people. Not too many, but... If you didn't see it, it was uh, America's Greatest Makers on TBS. So when the the, the contestants in this uh, reality show were able to get their hands on the product, we started seeing in real time what was working, what wasn't. What were we going to do about it? Well, in that case, there was a uh, <clears throat> there was an actual sort of tangible prize in having a product that worked because here these people are going to be on TV talking about the product and it, it in their designs. And if it never worked, then there was never going to be anybody uh, touting the advantages of using Intel, right? So this was all a marketing exercise from Intel's perspective. So when it came down to it, there was, there was a promise made about the size of a, of a deployable Sort of the, the Arduino 101 board was a, an Arduino board. It was meant for prototyping and learning. But if you're going to build a smart device, if you're going to have a wearable, if you're going to, that's mostly what it, you know, a lot of wearable stuff or, or devices meant to be small, the Arduino board is not necessarily ideal. So we spun the Arduino 1 board into something about the size of a quarter. And I, I don't remember the dimensions, but it was less than an inch square and that was much more usable in their design so <clears throat> that was a case where the, the co-creative element was there we were able to say look this is what people are going to need when they are showing their designs off on on the, the tv segments where they're actually showing hardware you know at, at the end when they're judging the winners it'd be nice to have something that didn't require arduino sized uh enclosures or wires sticking out, uh, jumpers and whatnot. So, so that worked out, but that was the, the motivation was clear, right? They wanted to look good. Not, not that they wanted it to, to work well, uh, in a design because, well, frankly, Intel was not used to working with individual customers. And so that is the transition that we're talking about today really is, a culture of, and, and if we look back at some of the, the topic arcs we've gotten started here in previous episodes, delivering big Delta, you know, changing the world, bringing, bringing change to people or bringing people to change, maybe, uh, modern collaboration. How do people work together or not? Are they enabled or not? So co-creation, that mindset says rather than sitting in a cubicle or sitting in a wood shop furniture or whatever um in a kitchen in a, you know a anywhere where where products services devices assistive technologies i'll get to that in a second where these things are being designed conceived designed implemented integrated eventually sold there's a place in that 
in that uh, workflow, in that environment for actual users, actual customers, people who will use your product or service for them to participate and tell you when you are wrong. So often if you, we, we've talked about the, uh, the downtown project, which that's, that's a, it's something I don't want to harp on too much, but a, as an example of a, of a city scale or, you know, a small part of a city scale, interesting, uh, attempt at change at new idea. It was very interesting because there was the the illusion of co-creation, right? There was this illusion of participating by being downtown, the return on community, the community social events, the interactions, the uh, the access to various people that were driving this, you know, access to Tony Shea, now the late Tony Shea, of course. Would the downtown project and the startups and small small companies, individual entrepreneurs, would they have done better if they, if all the people asked, who asked, asked, let me get some uh, coffee here. Oh, no longer hot coffee. That's a bummer. People that were bringing their, themselves, their, their fellow co-founders, their employees, rarely bringing them downtown. They were, they were, you know, they were told this is what you're going to get by be by coming here. Here's what's available. Here's what we're building. I honestly don't know if they were invited to change that or participate in the change. So that's that's a topic for another time. But generally speaking, the ability to construct a workflow, an environment, an infrastructure, a culture where the people that you are making, and it's probably people, it might be, it might not be. Uh, we'll get to that in a second too. <clears throat> so if, if, but if you are making something for your users, the, the uh, Google made popular the notion of beta, which they haven't done in a few years. But remember Gmail was beta forever. <laughs> uh, Android applications, I, I don't have an iPhone, but Android applications, you can join a beta for an application. And presumably, uh, the feedback mechanism is, is ridiculous. The, the play store, you can make one comment <laughs> or give it one star or something. But the notion is, Hey, um, we would like to know what you think or what your experience is with a, a version of our product, not yet released to the, the, the masses. So you get to give us feedback in exchange for the trouble of trying out something that may or may not be completely functional. Uh, okay, that sounds good. But but what if the product is just ill-conceived? <clears throat> Excuse me. So what if you uh what if your product is just off the rails and there's an example of this um the iBot is a is a wheelchair, so assistive technologies developed for people who need them. But if you never ask people who need your product, what they actually need, then you get the iBot. And I don't want to harp on that too much. So I'll stick a link in the show notes, but, uh, it will be a familiar product with an unusual sort of set of additional details. 
if you're not familiar. So if you design assistive technologies or if you design anything for people to use, and again, it doesn't even have to be technological. It could just be furniture. It could be where, where does the doorknob go on a door? How wide should your door frames be inside a home? Ramps, uh, lighting, all, all sorts of things that are not necessarily high tech. Maybe they're just, maybe they're absolutely low tech or almost no tech. So we have the, the culture is actually more in place than some will realize. Uh, the casual um, individual, maybe maybe your coworkers and colleagues may or may not know what a maker fair is. They may not know what a hackathon is. Uh, would a hackathon arouse suspicion? <laughs> Whenever I would travel, I mentioned I would travel around the country for Intel uh, somewhat the world, but mostly domestic United States, we would on weekends have hackathons and Intel would sponsor usually at a co-working space of some, some sort, uh, IOT hackathons use the Edison. Here's a ton of sensors and other, um, companion hardware, I guess. And turn your idea into reality. Make uh, make a thing, and you, you know you get free hardware. You get uh, on-site support. Uh, that was why I was there, and a few other people from the developer relations group. And these participants would not only get the free hardware; they would get the collaboration in the room. It was a uh, Friday to Sunday, so Friday Friday evening, Friday afternoon. Get some hardware. Get up and running. Saturday all day hacking, Sunday uh, finish up, judging prizes, and then leave with uh, free hardware and good times. Right. So if you were able to participate in this, um, you would you would walk away with this hardware. Ideally, Intel would walk away with uh, a whole lot of notes about customer experience. How were people able to use our products? And that was not always uh, a, a good story. <laughs> but as I mentioned, that's where I, I did attempt to iterate on our documentation and some user experience, the out-of-box experience, and eh, we got a little bit of pushback. But when I was going to these hackathons, pretty much every weekend, so it was a lot of a lot of heading to the airport. And if I eventually I switched to using a ride share rather than leaving my car there over the weekend. And so catching a flight at 4 a.m. usually sparked a some curiosity. So where are you headed? And so I like to get, get in Friday more you know, early before we converge on the site and get, get things uh, ready to go. So I'd catch a very early flight out of the Las Vegas McCarran Airport. Presently, the McCarran Airport, whatever they, I don't know if it's going to be Harry Reid, but either way, where are you headed? And I would say hackathon. I would, I'm going to a hackathon, work for Intel. <clears throat> and usually there'd be a response. <clears throat> these are, these are people that are mostly not, or at the time, mostly not engaged with, that sort of the community of makers and 
technology, whatnot. So what is a hackathon? Is that where they break into banks or is that, uh, the Russians? Is that, you know, it was, it was always the, the bad, uh, use of the hacker term, which is unfortunate. You know, the, the origin of hacker is from, uh, from the good old days when college students at MIT and, and elsewhere were in the basement working all night, like as if you were cutting through a big tree stump and you're hacking away at it. So hackers are supposed to be a good thing. So hackathon is a <clears throat> cultural phenomenon of uh, collaborative learning, ideation, right? Thinking about how to apply this free hardware I've been given to the idea that I came here with, or maybe one I just came up with, and you turn that into something that you can hold in your hand. It will blink or buzz or operate motors or do whatever. So hackathon, good. Hackathon marketing, <laughs> a little bit tricky. So we came to be, uh, we came to use the term uh, innovation sprint. The, the H word was eventually verboten inside Intel, inside Intel. Now outside, you know, the, the target community, the, the people that these products were designed for are still calling these gatherings hackathons, but to the world, couldn't, you couldn't be fostering, uh, the, the, what people thought was a bad thing. So that was, that was tricky, but that was, that was out above my pay grade. So yeah, what is a hackathon? I don't know. And then I would explain it to, Oh, okay. That's interesting. And then sometimes they would have, a uh, their kids or their, somebody in their family. Like, oh, I think, yeah, I've seen something like that. So it was, it was interesting. And, and, you know, slowly but surely, and hopefully now several years later, the notion is intact you know, maker, maker fair is kind of suffered a little bit financially make media. I can never remember. It's maker media or make, I think it's make media it used to be make magazine. And then it turned into a, a maker fair in San Mateo and it was good stuff. But these are, these are the, the culture of co-creation and collaborative development, education being put to use, uh, usually for educational robotics art, creativity, typically on a smaller scale, but it's when you apply that to commercialization, when you make products better, we make better products by involving the users and customers of the products in that process. And I did, I mentioned mostly people. Uh, I was thinking of one of the contestant groups of America's Greatest Makers was actually creating a product that would go on a dairy cow, like an ear tag, but it was an IOT ear tag. And the data would be collected. It was transported over Bluetooth. So short range, low power. So their plan for, for uh, what you could call eventual data sync was to have a device on a, on a dog that would capture the data. So it was the, the other side of a Bluetooth, uh, connection pairing, and it would wander around <clears throat> capturing data opportunistically as it came up, came upon different cows out in the field, literally. And so 
uh, the company that they formed was called Herd Dog, or the name of the project anyway. So Herd Dog was, yes, it was used by ultimately by the farmer, dairy farmer. I guess it's a dairy farm, right? Not a ranch. Uh, they were decidedly uh, dairy cow oriented, and that that's a, that's a whole another set of animal wellness concerns. But for the sake of this episode today, we're talking about the development of their product. They were basically making a product that would work with cows and dogs, and the the data collected would then be reported to a, a farmer or other staff. But, you know, electrically, sensors, how did it capture data? Was the device that the dog was going to wear large or small? Would it, would it be distracting? You know, all these, all these things where you're co-create, you're literally trying things out on animals. So it doesn't always have to be a person. Usually is, but it doesn't have to be. You know, if you've ever designed a, an automatic pet feeder, there's a co-creation angle to that too. So co-creation, we don't have to go much longer on this, don't worry. Uh, co-creation, though, is something where, you know, it starts with people commenting on YouTube videos and podcast episodes and the producer or the content, content creator taking feedback and changing their content creation or their, their focus or their production value, production, workflow, whatever it is. So you're responding to changes and then iterating in the next episode. So there is a co-creative element to something as simple as a podcast or a, a YouTube channel. When you get to software design, when you get to product design, tangible products, tech or not, when you get to food preparation, anything, how do you make a pizza without gluten? Right? You can certainly make a pizza without gluten and hope for the best, or you can invite people who are gluten-free for whatever reason and people who are not gluten-free to try out your recipes before you commit it to uh, the market, Right, before you start selling mass-produced gluten-free pizza. Uh, personally, I think if you are going to make a gluten-free pizza, if you say it's gluten-free pizza, there's a hopefully there's a <laughs> the expectation should be set that this is not going to be pizza it's going to be gluten-free pizza so it's almost a separate thing so that's it's always troubling when people try to accomplish um, a duplicate product but it's it you know it's way off it might be good it might be a great gluten-free pizza but if you compare it directly to a pizza it's just going to be different and so Similarly, uh, when you design a product, when you get feedback from people, they may say, well, this is not like the iPhone that I was using last year. And some customers may find that off-putting. It doesn't have to be an iPhone. It could be anything. But the question is, what will, uh, what will make a better product for, for more people? Maybe maybe a product that adapts, maybe a product that, especially if there's a software uh, feature set that can be deployed. So rather than handing someone a, you know, 
the, <laughs> this is our view of what your iPhone should do. And something similar with Android, although Android's a little bit more open, a little bit. But if you if you enable your customer, enable, not let, enable your customers, your users to take advantage of the, the feature set, uh, to adapt the product to what they need. And if you can accomplish that by during product design, enabling those people to participate, to co-create. So the, the, the culture is there. The infrastructure is there. Everybody is connected there all the time. Uh, there, there's a feedback loop that can be easily constructed. The culture on the user side is there. Certainly people re will review your product and will tweet about it. I know I've done that when something uh, irks me. Android user interface. Notifications. Toast. Why do we still have toast notifications? Insane. So the question is whether product development, product design, uh, product marketing, manufacturing, project management, all these tools that go with all the people that fill those roles and the, the way those things take place, can they accept input from... Hmm, I don't know about that. Oh, stop. That's another good example. <laughs> Why is no one at Amazon tackling their smart speakers uh, responding when they shouldn't? Anyway... So that's co-creation, uh, step one. I would love to have ongoing discussions about this, not only because it's meta, co-creative discussions about co-creation, totally, but because as well, it is, uh, it, it's a nice arc, uh, plenty, of, plenty of stuff to talk about here. It is a part of something I myself am going to be working on, which we'll get into another time. There will probably be a whole other podcast show focused on that. Uh, but it's a way to, to, it's a, it's a way to make life a little bit better for people. And if you are going to be changing the world, your, uh, your new app on an iPhone may seem like it's changing the world because you make a lot of money from it, but sorry if I'm pontificating here a little bit, but your, your, your world changing app on an iPhone, maybe it, uh, maybe it farts, maybe it, uh, <laughs> Maybe it's a game that plays ads all the time, but what, what does that really accomplish versus, you know, making life in a home a little bit safer, a little bit more comfortable, making the air a little bit cleaner, things like this. There are, there are things that we can do. And if we listen to people, and I'm speaking as a product developer now, if, if I can listen to someone tell me what, what they need, instead of me saying, well, here's what you're going to get. I'm going to let you use this product and it will let you turn your lights on with your voice. Well, how about I enable you to do what you needed to do by you telling me what that is and let's make this thing do what you need. So you are enabled when you use my product to accomplish what you need to do. And in an assistive technology realm, that's really important. Uh, in a smart speaker market, maybe it's not need. Maybe I didn't need that smart speaker, but uh, I wanted it at some point. I don't know if that's still true, but certainly 
co-creation with people who need certain things, uh, almost certainly a win-win. So we can take advantage of where we are in the world today with communication tools, workflow, just-in-time manufacturing, agriculture, technology. I just the, the list goes on and on. So we have so many, uh, I like to say, uh, it's as if someone has spread a, a, a whole box of Lego building blocks onto a table and we have but to assemble them. And if uh, if we enable co-creation, if we enable customers, users to participate in that, I think we end up with better stuff for everybody. And so, again, not, not intending to be too, uh, too preachy, but it just makes good sense, and it's based on my own experience. So I would love to speak with some makers and some hackathon folks and some people who are building products and making new devices and services and software, accessibility perhaps, uh, if that's interesting to you. It certainly is interesting to a lot of people. So do not forget ffstalk.substack.com, the show notes newsletter. Uh, it's been a couple of weeks, so not all shows have this. Uh, eventually, the FFS Talk website will probably not take the same structure, but this is something where I would love to hear from people as these things are rolling forward kind of fits into the co-creation mold. If you would like to join in the conversation, I would love to enable you. <laughs> That's what it's about. So, and it could be this or any of the various topic arcs or even a new one. So don't hesitate for a moment. You can email me directly, dhugo, D-H-U-G-O at ffstalk.com. So there you go. Uh, thanks for listening. Thank you for sharing this podcast with others who might also be interested. The, the podcast channel is presently hosted on Anchor, and it will likely continue to be. Uh, the future of RSS and MP3 podcast distribution is another topic for another time, but uh, Anchor continues to be a reasonable primary and maybe eventually secondary channel channel to other channels so find us there show notes will link to the show so if you subscribe to the show notes you will always have a link directly to the episode and the feed uh, the source of the feed so you can subscribe from there subscribe to the newsletter there's a weekend edition you can subscribe to that as well you can you can find out more when you check out the show notes newsletter for today's co-creation and innovation or is it innovation and co-creation? I mean, I got to think about that. Thank you for listening. And I look forward to uh, next week, another topic for another day. <laughs>